You're listening to Can I Say That? with Brenna and Austin Blaine. Hey friends, it's Brenna Blaine. I am super excited about today's episode. I had a beautiful interview with Dominic Doan. If you don't know who Dominic is, he is a speaker and the author of a book called When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadow of a Doubt, which is our subject today, doubt. What do we do with it? How do we engage with it? Is doubt a sin? And how come the church is seemingly so weird about the subject of doubt? How come doubt tends to be a subject that makes us feel isolated? Dominic just had so many profound things to say about the subject and so I'm super excited for you guys to listen and I really hope you check out his book afterwards. But before we jump into the interview, I just want to share a little announcement. In July, we are turning two and we are so excited to celebrate the two years that we have spent with you guys asking difficult questions and the beautiful conversations that have come out of it. But we also feel like turning to is a really good time to move into a different transition. Some of you know and some of you don't know that in my personal life, I am a Christian speaker. And so when COVID happened, most of my jobs were lost, which was actually okay because God provided for us financially and we were really excited for the opportunity to kind of just focus on this podcast. But there are two really exciting things that happened over the course of the last year. The first is that I really felt like God was calling me to step out and write a book. And it's actually kind of playing off of the idea that brought me to the podcast. And so the working title for that is called, Can I Say That God? How My Unsafe Questions Led Me to the Real God. And then... As things have started to open up with COVID, I've found myself in a position where I've gotten enough speaking invites that I can kind of shift into a part-time job of speaking after we have our second baby, which I'm super excited about because that is my calling. That is what I feel like God has called me to do in life. And so don't worry the podcast is not going anywhere this is not me announcing that we're ending the podcast but this is me letting you guys know that austin and i both want to pursue a healthy lifestyle both emotionally and spiritually and we know that that means setting boundaries and limiting our time and what we do as a family and what we do in ministry and so in order to put good time into this book in order to teach the bible well in the places that i've been called and in order to ensure that the quality of this podcast stays where it's at or perhaps maybe gets better we've decided to start releasing episodes a little less frequently right now we release episodes once a month and starting in july we feel like our birthday is a good time to transition to releasing episodes about every six weeks so with that if you are on social media and you haven't already i want to invite you to follow us we are on facebook and Instagram under Can I Say That Show, and that's where you guys can stay up to date on when episodes will be released. All right, as always, if you enjoy this episode or any other episode of the Can I Say That Show, 
please tag us on your social media accounts and leave us a kind review wherever you listen to your podcast. Reviews go a long way and so does a shout out on Instagram or Facebook. I hope you enjoyed this episode entitled Doubt with Dominic Doan. Okay, so just to start off, how do you describe this all-encompassing term we in the faith world call doubt? Yeah, that's such a good question. Well, I guess you could start like, okay, what does the Bible actually say about doubt? And how does the Bible define and describe doubt? In the New Testament, it uses this word uh, diakrino, which is this Greek word that literally means to separate or to be torn. So you think of like in Latin, it's dubitare, which is a word that means to. So literally, if you just want to take like the literal meaning of doubt, it means that you're kind of in two places. You're, You're torn between two opposing points of view. It's fascinating when you look at the study of like anthropology or history and how different cultures have, have understood doubt. Um, it actually reflects this idea of dividedness or two-ness. So the Greeks, they define doubt as a tearing of the mind. Uh, the, the ancient Chinese, the way they envisioned doubt through, through their letters and their words was as of a man with a foot in two separate boats, um, which probably isn't going to end well. Um, In Peru, they they defined doubt as having two thoughts. And in Guatemala, I think it was a person whose heart is made two. Um, So it's all about this idea of two-ness or dividedness. Or you think of like the book of James, it says the person who doubts is like the man who is being tossed by the waves of the sea kind of back and forth. So that's like the literal definition of doubt. What has happened, I think, in kind of mainstream evangelical subculture over the years is we've tended to view doubt um, more as a sin. We've seen doubt as something that is equivalent to unbelief. In fact, we, we've kind of swapped those two words many times. Uh, someone who doubts or someone who doesn't believe is kind of in the same camp. But actually, in the Bible, that's not true. Um, unbelief is a, it's a different space entirely. Um, it's a different word. It's this word apostia in the Greek language. It means an unwillingness to believe. So in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus went to a village, he said he, he, it le- he left the village because of their unbelief. So it's not just like, I'm torn. I don't know. I'm struggling. It's, no, I've made up my mind. I don't believe and, and you can't persuade me otherwise. So I kind of like to look at it like doubt is saying I'm unsure of something, whereas unbelief says I don't really care uh, about what you're saying. Or doubt is like the pursuit of truth wherever it leads. Unbelief is more being content where you're at. And I, and I point that out because I think there is a need, and we'll probably talk about this today, but I think there's a need for a deep rethink on how we approach doubt as Christians and pastors and uh, churches and giving a, a safer space for those who are in that place of feeling divided, because that's a very, very painful place to be. It's why um, the book of Jude says, be merciful to those who doubt. I'm interested in knowing what are the biggest areas of doubt that you see in the Christian world, and why do you think people, Christians specifically, feel as if they if those doubts are maybe too taboo or they can't share them within the walls of their local church or Christian community? Mm, That's such a good question. Um, 
You know, I think when certainty is your mantra, anyone who has questions, they're going to feel kind of unsafe to you. <laughs> um, they're a threat uh, to a system or a structure. I think that's why when Jesus came along, it's why the Pharisees and the religious elite had such a hard time with him, because they had all their laws, all their rules. It's all very systematized and organized. And this is the way that you relate to God. These are the things you have to do. And then Jesus came along and he asked, he just blew it all up with a bunch of questions. Um, he he asked over 300 questions. Um, and that's just what we have in, in the Gospels. But um, the Gospel of John says he did so much more that's not even written. So what we have is 300 questions. He's like, who do you say that I am? Or do you believe this? Like these deep probing questions. Um, he, he addressed the Pharisees and he'd confront the religious scholars with thorny questions, hard questions that kind of made them step outside of their systems for a while and reevaluate truth. So I, I, I think one of the reasons why it can be a, a hard topic in, in churches um, is because it, it, it is a lack of certainty and we prioritize certainty over trust. And I think relationship always, always needs to be built on trust. And we could talk about that later too, because I think that's a fascinating aspect of, of doubt. But I think in the church, there are so many things we're just not talking about and not addressing. And I think honestly, it's why a lot of people are searching elsewhere to try and find the answers because you know, they'll come to a community and come to church and just kind of hear what they've always heard. But meanwhile, in their heart, they're like, I am struggling with this. I'm wrestling with that issue or, and it's not being addressed. So I, I think, I mean, we could go through so many different things. I think one is people are, are struggling with mental health issues, anxiety, depression. And in many cases, those have been stigmatized um, in the church or people get this impression that if they struggle with anxiety or depression, that it's somehow a sin and it's, it's not discussed. Meanwhile, people are suffering. Like, what do I do with this? And those doubts and depressions can cause them to, um, or the anxiety and depression cause them to doubt their faith. I'm wondering where God is in the midst of it. Uh, people have questions that are related to what's happening culturally, uh, whether it's race or politics. Um, people have doubts about the goodness of God. Uh, where is he? When life is falling apart, I was at a church a few years ago, and uh, not in this area, but in another church I was speaking at. But the the pastor got up at the beginning of the service. He's like, and he just like shouts, and he's like, "God is good!" And everyone in the congregation was like, "All the time, God is good." And it was kind of like this cheesy back and forth thing they did. And I heard that, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's kind of true theologically." But if that's all you're being told, then what about those times when you? are struggling with the goodness of God. Like in Psalm 73, which is where we get that line, God is good. He starts out by saying, truly God is good. We all, we all love that. But then the very next verse, he's like, as for me, my feet almost slipped. He's like, I'm hurting right now. I'm struggling right now. God, where are you? And I think we need to do a, a much better job of talking about suffering, a much better job talking about mental health issues, much better job of addressing some of the cultural uh, divisions that are happening right now. Because if not, um, we all struggle with questions about these things and others, questions about the Bible, uh, questions about the 
the silence of God, questions about science. I mean, the list goes on. If those things aren't being openly and honestly addressed, then doubt just kind of grows within us. And doubt's greatest strength is secrecy. But once we can drag it into the light and talk about it like Jesus did, once we can ask the questions and have space to do that, um, it's then that we find uh, our faith begins to grow. One of our most asked questions about this subject from our audience is, is doubt sinful? And I just want to add to that question, where is this question answered in scripture? Is there a place that we can blatantly point to and say, here's where we find the answer? Yeah. So I think that goes back to what what I was mentioning earlier and how we've kind of perceived doubt in church settings primarily. So back in Jude 22, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. If doubt was a sin, I don't think it would say, show mercy to those who are doubting right now. Um, In fact, that word, uh, show mercy, it's this ancient word picture of a doctor repairing a broken bone. So the idea is, is that when someone's doubting, it's like their bone's been broken, right? It's that idea of dividedness, like something's broken within them. They've just gone through something traumatic. Um, they witness some, you know, ca- catastrophic fall of a spiritual leader, or they they struggled with anxiety. They are wrestling with the absence of God. And when you go through that, man, that 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 hurts. It's painful. And the Bible says, when someone's there and they have questions, you don't judge them. You, you don't say, "Hey, you're wrong." That's a sin. You got to repent. No, the Bible says you love them. You show mercy to them. One of my favorite stories is when Jesus got his disciples together and he had just risen from the dead and they still doubted. Uh, It says in Matthew 28, um, it says some worship, some doubted. But what's so crazy is Jesus still sent them all out to go into the world, preach the gospel, you know, what we call the Great Commission. Well, he sends out worshipers and doubters. He sends out people who had strong, vibrant, lively, gritty faith, along with people like Thomas, who's like, I won't believe unless I can touch your wounds. (laughs) So, no, I I don't believe that doubt is a sin. Now, here's the catch, though. Doubt can lead to sin or doubt can lead you to a more vibrant relationship with God. Uh, If you think of it like a river. Um, you have two different banks, one on the left, one on the right. Doubt is kind of like the river in between. It's like this middle murky space that depending on how you respond to it, depending on how you react to it, the steps you take when you're in it, it can lead you to unbelief for sure. I mean, you look at the amount of people who are losing their faith right now, leaving their faith, deconstructing their faith. I heard just yesterday of another well-known Christian leader who said, I don't believe anymore. Like this is happening all over the place. So, and it begins with doubts, it begins with questions. So yeah, doubt can lead you down a, a darker path or doubt can also lead you to a place where your faith becomes more alive and I think more authentic, more real. Uh, a faith that isn't all about having answers, but it's living in the tension of unanswered questions and still trusting, still believing. I think a beautiful example of that would be, uh, there's so many in the Bible, but one outside the Bible would be um, when C.S. Lewis' wife died. Um, Her name was Joy. 
And they'd only been married for a few short years. Uh, he described it as like the most beautiful years of his life. And when, when she died, it was like the most catastrophic thing he'd ever encountered. And he, shortly after she died, he wrote a book under a pseudonym because he didn't want anyone to know it was actually him who wrote it uh, called A Grief Observed. And I'm sure you've read it. And he's like pouring out his grief in real time. And there's no like pat answers. It's only phony questions. He's like, God, where, where are you? He calls God the great iconoclast. How uh, His view of God had been shattered and disrupted. He says, I came to the door in prayer. Instead of an open door, I just got a slam door in my face. Like it's really hard questions. And yet, as you continue reading the book, what you find is that his faith is rebuilt, not because he had a list of bullet point Christianese or simplistic answers. His faith was rebuilt in the fragile beauty of, of trust. So he came to a point of realizing, well, he says this in his other book, Till We Have Faces. He says, I now know why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. So for him, it was about relationship and coming to a place of saying, you know, it's all right. I don't know everything here. It's okay to have these unanswered questions. And I think belief is actually more beautiful, more rich, more raw, more vibrant, more live when it's in that space. Um, Because I I grew up in a a context that we weren't saved at all. And then our family became Christians and I was in middle school, kind of a long story there. But the churches we started going to, it was kind of like this old school mindset of, you know, 90s apologetics, where it's all about memorize these 10 points or 101 answers to questions that skeptics ask. And you've probably seen all those. But so it became all about, okay, if you memorize this, if someone asks you this, then this is how you answer. If someone raises this objection, here are the three answers begin with the letter P or whatever. Um, and there, I think there's a place for that, sure. But at the end of the day, a walk with Jesus means there's going to be moments of uncertainty. And what he wants from us is our trust and it's our heart. And that's what I'm after. So if we see in the Bible this invitation from God and from Jesus to not hide from our doubt, but face our doubt and kind of speak it into the light, how can pastors and faith leaders do a better job of welcoming doubt in the spaces that they lead in? I think at a base level, giving sermons, having talks, offering classes, making resources available to people to build out a robust theology of doubt, (laughs) to talk about, just talk about what, what is doubt. I mean, this is like bare bones, basic foundational level sharing with people, Hey, there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. And here's where doubt comes from. Uh, Here's how we see doubt in the Bible. Here's how Jesus responded to it. Here's how we can respond to it. So I think that would be one way. And then, just availability for people who are walking through seasons of doubt. Um, Sometimes what people need from us when they're hurting, when their faith is failing, uh, again, it's it's not just another list of answers. It's our presence. And that's, and and it's our own vulnerability too. Like I I was thinking a couple of days ago about Jesus. um, And when he talked to, to Thomas who had doubts 
And somewhere, someone in history called him Doubting Thomas, but that, you don't actually see that in the Bible. He wasn't given that nickname till later, but it, but it fits. And I think it would have fit for all the disciples because they were all huddled in the same room. But the way that Jesus brought faith out of him was by saying, here, um, touch my wounds, right? He wasn't here, a stack of books from seminary that you need to read. <laughs> Again, I'm not knocking that, like all about that. I love books, I love reading. And, um, but he, but he showed him his wounds and said, hey, you know, touch them. And I, I think there's something beautiful there when, when people in our life who are struggling and hurting, it's the repair a broken bone idea. You're just there for them. You're, you're helping them. You're serving them. And you're being open and, and sharing, yeah, I've been there. Or here's how I've struggled. And uh, here's how God met me. Um, there, there's power in that. So I think in, in churches, if we can work on making it a, a safer space for the doubter, you'll be amazed what kind of faith is born there. <laughs> because God isn't after automatons, right? He's not after robots. He, he wants people who really are willing to go to the mat like Jacob and wrestle with him all night and have a faith that lasts. Because if it's just a faith built on on answers or our own memorized proofs or whatever, um, or just parroting something we've heard from the stage. Like that's not going to last in the, in the, the, the trenches uh, of grief and pain, suffering. Um, but what will last is relationship. I'm sure you heard of the phrase, all truth is God's truth. But maybe for those of you who are listening who haven't heard that phrase, it's kind of the concept that, or the belief that if God puts truth into the world. Maybe someone who is not a Christian, they can still have truth. They can still share something that's true because it's God's truth, but just because it comes from someone who's not a Christian doesn't make it not true. Probably butchered that, but I'm wondering, I I know that there are some Christians who have doubts that feel hesitant about can I share this with a therapist? Can I talk to a scientist about this? Is there permission for Christians to move outside the walls of the church to find answers to their doubt if we believe that God's truth is out in the world as well as inside the church? Yes, I love I love how you put that. Because um, I think there's this weird kind of platonic idea that has made its way into church spaces where we bifurcate, you know, the spiritual from the physical, um, and we define spiritual as, you know, you're in a church building and you're singing these songs and you're hearing a sermon, um, and that's our only source of truth. And sure, hopefully that you know, depending on the church, hopefully there's really good, there's truth there that you can absorb and glean. And as followers of Jesus, like our primary source of truth, of course, is found in Scripture. Um, but like you said, all truth is God's truth. It reminds me of what Paul said. He said, all things are yours. Um, I think he said that in Corinthians. And I, I just love that because whether it's biology or chemistry or physiology or neurology or psychology or astronomy, history, philosophy, like all of these things, I think, give us kind of a three-dimensional insight into the heart of God. And they can be absolutely uh, places where we learn more about ourselves, we learn more about creation and how creation works. I think it's why science is so beautiful. 
um, science isn't opposed to faith at all. In fact, it kind of makes faith more vibrant <laughs> and alive. And, and when it comes to wrestling with our doubts, yes, um, I, I think we can take those doubts and learn from from spaces that, that God has made available to us. I mean, how much, that's such a beautiful and rich way to see reality. Like you wake up every morning and think this is an opportunity for me to hear the heartbeat of God. You know, you, you, you're listening to a podcast on, you know, some science from BBC or whatever. You're like, oh, that's so beautiful. I didn't, I didn't know that about earthworms. That, that's so cool. Or, you know, you pick up a book on astronomy and you're learning about quantum physics and mechanics. Like, wow, God is so creative. And having a conversation with someone about psychology and learning about the difference between the false self and true self. I'm like, oh, there's some truth there. There's some things I can glean. Like when you see life that way, every day literally is an opportunity to draw closer to God and for your faith to grow. But if you're just limiting it to saying, well, like, my faith can only grow if I listen to more sermons or attend more services. And I know some people have had that perspective. Um, you're kind of cutting yourself off from this beautiful source of, of truth that God has made available to us in the world. So, yeah, I totally agree with what you said. For people who are currently sitting in maybe just a place of overwhelming doubt right now, what encouragement or even what kind of charge do you have for them? Well, I would say, um, you know, that verse I, I mentioned, being merciful to those who doubt. No one showed more mercy to the doubter than Jesus. <laughs> um, he engaged people who were wrestling and doubting and invited them to touch his wounds. And if that's the case, then that means you have a space, safe space right now. Like wherever you are listening to this, you can just turn to the Lord and talk to him. You can share with him how you're feeling. Um, you can let him know your doubts and questions. You don't have to hide them. You don't have to suppress them. I mean, you look at the book of Psalms. Um, the book of Psalms are filled with these thorny questions of like, God, why, why have you forsaken me? Or why do you allow evil people to prosper? And why am I suffering? These hard hard questions. And if if God gave people who doubted the biggest platform the world has ever known, called the Bible, then I think it's okay for, for you right now in your car, working out or wherever you are doing your dishes or mowing the lawn. Like It's okay for you to, to come to God right now and just let him know how you're feeling. He can handle it. And not only that, he loves you and he wants to walk with you through that. So I think that'd be my first place to begin. Um, and then I'd say there's other people out there who not only can relate to what you're going through, you're not alone. Um, many times doubt can be dangerous because it can isolate us or we feel a sense of shame. Or maybe we're in a community, a Christian community that doesn't give safe space to those who have doubts. And so we start to feel like, what's wrong with me? Um, why? Why do I have these questions? Does anyone else feel that way? Why am I here in worship? And it's like my heart, it feels cold. What's going on? And, 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 and that sense of shame causes us to put up walls and retreat and withdraw. And I would say, no, don't do that. Because first of all, you're not the only one. We all wrestle. We all struggle, whether we admit it or not. And seek out community. Seek out those who can walk with you through that journey, a friend, mentor, 
uh, a pastor, professor, someone in your life who maybe is a couple steps ahead of you or has gone through a similar season who, who can be that faithful presence in your life. Um, I think that will make a huge, huge difference. Um, you know, speaking just personally, I'm, I tend to be more of an introvert. So when I r- wrestle with stuff, I tend to kind of retreat. It's been said, you know, some people are, are skunks and some people are turtles. Um, a, a skunk, when they're upset, they'll let make a big stink and let everyone know. Um, a turtle, when they're upset, they kind of get inside their shell. And I'm more of the turtle. So when I, when I went through, and I talk about this in my book, I went through a time where I almost lost my faith. I almost became an atheist. And I was wrestling with these, these questions about God and the Old Testament, the violence in the Old Testament, the existence of God, these philosophical questions that were kind of rocking my world at the time. And when I was going through that, I kind of you know, became a turtle, just put up walls, wasn't really telling anyone about it. What was interesting, though, is my wife could tell. She was like, what's wrong with you? You seem really bummed out and sad. And, you know, I'm sacrificing squirrels in the backyard. And no, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. But like, she's like, what is what is going on? You just seem different. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, here's what's happening. I'm like really wrestling with my faith. And that is like a really disorienting thing to go through. Uh, Nietzsche, he said that when you stare into the abyss, the abyss, abyss stares into you. And I was beginning to feel some of that, like, whoa, this is heavy. Like, you know, like the outworkings of atheism, it's pretty huge, actually. That's like, that's like a life-changing, life-altering paradigm that if you adopt it, it's going to have all kinds of ramifications. So what was so cool is she began to probe and ask those questions. Um, it caused me to just like say, hey, this is what's going on. She was able to pray for me. She was able to give me some advice. Um, I was able to share with some professors. And that really was like a vital step for me in kind of moving through that season and reconstructing my faith. So I'd say any who are listening here, you're not alone. Jesus knows. Jesus cares. And there are other people in your life who know and care and would love to walk with you through that. Again, find someone who's a couple steps ahead, <laughs> not behind. That's probably the worst thing you want to do is find someone who's like, who has weak faith or no faith or hasn't really seriously grappled with those issues. That's not necessarily going to help. But if you find someone who's like, yeah, I've been there and here's some things that have helped, that can be really life-giving. You've said so many like just deeply profound and beautiful things on the topic of doubt, which I think even when I talk about it with my audience before we asked these questions today, I felt like some of my interactions were so clinical and just sitting here, I feel so moved. And I know a lot of other people are also feeling that way. Can you just give us like an outline or a synopsis of what your book is about and what it covers? Because I know there's going to be a lot of people who want to read it after they listen today. After going through that time um, of deconstructing, and then reconstructing. I just wanted to help people in whatever way I, I could. And for me, that looked like just, you know, putting it out there in, in a book. And so I begin the book kind of just talking about what is doubt? What does the Bible actually have to say? One of the surprising discoveries for me was realizing 
that God kind of rigged the world in such a way where doubts and questions are part of the system. And so often we get our theology of doubt from Genesis 3. We're like, see, Satan, he he asked Eve questions. like, And, and she said yes, and she ate of the fruit and gave it to Adam. And that's why doubt's evil. It's sinful. It's satanic. And I'd say, well, yeah, maybe. But that's one example of doubt being used in a negative way. But our theology of doubt shouldn't come from Genesis 3. You need to go back a couple of pages and see how God made the world. And when he made the world, he made the world in such a way where there are boundaries, there were barriers even. He put Adam and Eve who had limitations in their knowledge. Um, He put them inside a garden that had limitations. Uh, He put them inside a world that had limitations and boundaries and barriers. And yet at the same time, he made them deeply inquisitive. They had all kinds of questions. And their first task actually was to go and name the animals. And God's like, be creative. Think of these names, you know, for, for each animal. So it's fascinating to me that God creates a world that had limits and barriers and boundaries, but at the same time, he made us deeply curious, which means that we have a thirst and a hunger to find out stuff. We want to know what's on the other side of that boundary and barrier. We, we want to understand more of who God is, because if God's infinite, then there's infinite things to discover about him. So I talk about that in chapter one and chapter two, I kind of unpack what doubt is, what it isn't. Then in chapters three and four, I share my own story of uh, deconstruction and reconstruction and what that looked like. Um, And then kind of the heart of the book is tackling some of the topics that we wrestle with that can lead to uh, doubt. Um, One, I think a big one is science. What role does science play? And is it the enemy of faith? Um, another one is the silence of God. Um, what do we do in those times where we pray and it's like we hear nothing but crickets, it's tumbleweeds you know, over the landscape of our soul? We're like, God, where are you? Uh, suffering is the huge one. Um, you know, why, why COVID? Why injustice? Why did my friend commit suicide? Why like these, these hard hard question and we need a place to kind of think through that and so yeah in the middle of the book and then scripture as well like the bible for me a big a big issue was why why is the old testament god seemingly so violent like i really struggle with that and to be honest i still struggle with that so i talk about that in in that chapter and like how to how to approach the bible um how to understand some of these stories um how to wrestle with with them and uh uh, even uh, appreciate where they're coming from and appreciate the culture and the time and the setting. And then the last part of the book is like practical. So it's like, okay, what do we practically do when we're going through times of doubt? And I just share some practices and habits that hopefully can begin to put our, our faith back together. Dominic, before we end, how can people connect with you and stay up to date with all that you're doing? Yeah, so uh, my website um, is called Pursuing Faith. So it's pursuingfaith.org. And so there I just have like places, um, speaking and um, email and contacts and stuff. I'm on Instagram and and Twitter. I'm on Facebook, but not as much. I don't know if... Well, I guess a lot of people are, but I don't. I don't get it. But um, I am on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if you just look up Dominic Doan, I'm there. And yeah, if people want to connect or have questions or they read the book and they want to talk more, um, be be glad to do that. So um, you can just you know reach out through the website and send an email or reach out 
uh, on social media. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about Can I Say That? Our guests on the show or submit questions and participate in polls, please join us on Instagram at Can I Say That Show? We love interacting with our audience and hearing how this show has affected, changed, and challenged you in your own walk. So please join us.